are getting ready to preach Leviticus. Are you really? It's next on our preaching yeah. calendar. Are you kidding me? Dude, that's no, awesome. it's in a couple weeks. Oh, that's so. a dumb oh, that's idea. Awesome. I should have <laughs> started. Do you yeah, really? I oh, good for so, you, man. Yeah, be fun. I took a picture of the screen, and yeah. I was going to say, like I always say, Leviticus is going to try to yeah, I was going <laughs> to honestly. I, I was reading Leviticus, <laughs> and look what I found. <laughs> if I become someone once said and then forgotten, I'll be a happy man. So run <laughs> with it, man. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess my you've kind of already answered it, but just to for maybe a new audience that's checking this out, why? Why Leviticus? Okay, yeah. Hmm. So yeah, those of you who are in the room just kind of heard heard a whole session, or at least part of a, part of a session on this. Um, to repeat what I said there, I yep. think that we have a responsibility. So the way I initially said it was, we can and must preach Leviticus. I think Leviticus can be preached well, because I think, and I think this Time is a message tell. of what's that? Uh, no, how did you? Time how did tell, you yeah. originally get to? Yeah. Hey, I'm going to check out Leviticus. <laughs> so I have. Um, You're a yeah. New Testament guy. <laughs> I know, and I, I am. So my life is in the New Testament. I mean, I, I you know I teach this. Usually, most of the preaching is New Testament. But I actually love Leviticus, and I think I don't remember when it was that something switched for me, where I read it through and I was like, I think there's like way more gold here that I just am not have not had the discipline or opportunity to dig for. And so that's why you know whenever you know Retina Media talked to Ozark and asked us to do Old Testament content, I was like, Oh, do Leviticus, because a lot of times it is you know putting yourself in that situation where you've got to study and understand this because you told somebody you would, um, and, and that you know created the responsibility so that I would make time to dig deeply into it, and I would have to think about it beyond just I studied it and I learned something. I had to figure out how I would articulate this. So really, it was I have the sneaking suspicion that there's more there. Hmm. I have a conviction. That, um, that it can be done well, that good gold can be found in Leviticus. And this comes back to you know, Luke 24. Jesus showed them from all the scriptures that it testified about him. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for these various purposes. That includes Leviticus. And um, there were some additional things that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm studying through Paul, and I'll come across the language of the sacrifices. Uh, so, and Paul uses different language in different places. He'll use the language of the mercy seat or the propitiation sacrifice in Romans 3. In Romans 8, I think he's alluding to the sin offering, which is the fourth of the big five. Other, you know, even Romans 12, you have, we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, living sacrifice to God. And as I'm studying Paul, I'm realizing I really don't, I can't understand this as deeply as I want to until I understand Leviticus. Then also, you know, the I have a, uh, just like most of you, I have a deep desire to love the church well when it comes to questions of sexual ethics. And that means loving my, I mentor a lot of young guys and some young ladies who are same-sex attracted, who are gay or lesbian, and more, you know, who are identifying themselves as having some levels of dysphoria um, or trans or whatever. And I'm thinking, okay, the New Testament teaching refers specifically back to Leviticus, which together refer back to Genesis, the picture that God gives us of all this. And I don't know how to love them well unless I understand what, what the New Testament is saying. And once again, don't understand now about Paul. So I think we can, and I think we must have a responsibility to. And I do think that it, is, it was surprising to me in studying it, realizing the suspicion was not only correct that God has gems for us in Leviticus, but that it actually answers some of our most immediately felt needs. Wisdom on sexual issues, understanding how to be different than the culture around us while still loving people, how to dwell in God's presence. So um, I do think the themes of Leviticus are not obviously relevant, but are relevant. And um, the challenge is, of course, to take something like Leviticus and to understand and teach it in a way that connects to either the felt needs or the needs that I can realize I have once somebody tells me takes a lot of time and effort. Mm. 
Hmm. You know, it's just not going to be done easily. And uh, and but you know, I can't remember what the initial question was, but those uh, are my, that's my why it's encouraging. It. Those of you in the audience who are life group leaders here at Christ Church, you know, a lot of times they discuss what we're preaching about yeah. in midweek. Yes, yeah. So <laughs> it's purposeful that we've right. waited until you release this stuff oh, on the nice. media. <laughs> so it comes watch, out late January, man. <laughs> they'll come to the sermon. They'll go, "What in the world?" Yeah. They'll watch the video and they go, "Oh, okay." Oh, we'll see. Yeah. yeah. No, it really was, man. It's so funny. Yeah, that study drops in, uh, you know, late this month in a couple of weeks. And at, it's funny. I serve at a church called Christ Church of Orinoco, and we, oh. we refer to it as Christ Church as well. So at our Christ Church, we're doing Leviticus on Wednesday nights this semester. So it, the Christ it's Church is all over like the place. God's church. Christ Amen. It is. It? That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Christ. If it's not His, it's not the church. <laughs> no, it's not worth having. Yeah. So Shane, mm-hmm. I think I was in middle school, and when you started teaching Revelation. Mm-hmm. What led you there? Middle school? I was in middle school. <laughs> Shane was like a freshman in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Shane has lots of hair now. and, uh, <clears throat> and I, Lots of things have changed uh, over the years, right? <laughs> yeah. You have none. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'm, I'm, my, my blessing and my curse is I'm curious. Uh, and, and if there's just something where... So I grew up in the church my whole life. And um, I was in one of those churches that we just... We Revelation was the crispest pages in our Bibles. We just didn't touch them. Yeah. Uh, like we memorized, you know, books of the Bible, and we'd always end with Revelation. But then I, I never heard anything about it. But I remember um, vividly, uh, junior in high school. Actually, I was coming back from St. Peter's. Oh yeah. It's driving down forty sixty one. I see a blood red moon, and I start freaking out. Because I'm going like, oh, no, the world's going to end. But I didn't know what to do with that. So I went home. It was like 1.30 in the morning. I picked up my Bible. I read uh, Revelation beginning to end. And I was scared out of my mind. How old were you, did you say? Junior in high school. Oh, this is awesome. Oh, yeah. So then, so then, it, it, not only was I scared out of my mind. It's a common uh, thing for a junior in high school. Just to <laughs> yeah, read yeah. through. <laughs> Well, when you're that scared, you'll do anything crazy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Fear is an incredible motivator. Uh, No, but I remember reading it, and I remember stopping and going, well, that made things way worse. Like, and and so the word all, I loved, Michael, how you, in the last session, even just now, all scripture. And and the way I usually kind of talk about it is like a lot of Christians, if they're obsessed over Revelation, they reduce the canon from 66 books down to one. Mm Mm-hmm. But functionally speaking, most, most churches have a canon of 65 cutting off Revelation. <laughs> and so my curiosity got the best of me, and it was my uh, sophomore year of undergrad at Ozark where I took a Revelation with our, perf- our mutual professor, Jim Johnson. Um, and it was in there where that book just grabbed a hold of my heart, and I saw Jesus in a way I had never seen him before in the Gospels. And, and I love this about, our, about, our, um, about the Bible. Uh, that the entry points to God are so multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Like I, I grew up, you know, more theater, more narrative, more story, more music, more art. That was my my entry point into a lot of just like even understanding who I am. And Revelation, it's crazy how when you talk to, we have students in our class that are worship or creative arts majors, they just get it in a different way quicker. Because there's a part of them that understands, and this is part of my plea with the emotion aspect. I do think that a brain without a heart isn't a full body, and vice versa. And Revelation is emoting Christ in a way that the, it reminds me of the Psalms. Um, but it was the curiosity to ask myself the question, did God put this in the Bible to scare juniors in high school, or did he have something else? Um, and after years of pulling through all of the crazy, because there's a lot of crazy with that book, 
Um, it's just a book that's not let me go. The, the amount of times I go to that well and find something totally new, uh, which, which just reinforces the infiniteness of who our God is, that he writes Leviticus and Revelation and Matthew. And, 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 and if he is infinite, it shouldn't shock us when we continue to find deeper revelations within his revelation. Um, and yeah, so the book just never really let me go. I still have a lot of rough edges that I'm hoping that, I mean, obviously Revelation along with, but that's what I love about Revelation too. It's, it's referencing so many other books. Mm -hmm. So there's a part of me whenever I'm sitting here going, uh, I'm, you know, the 516 illusions of the Old Testament. Um, there's also a part of me that I'm like, I want to read the Old Testament like Leviticus because I want to read what John wrote. I want to know what, what illusions he's making to in his sermons to these churches because I want to think like the apostles, not just read the apostles and see what they thought. And Revelation for me just really pulls a lot of who I am in with a lot of what, what God's revealed himself to say be. That, say that again. Yeah. You want to... I have no idea what I said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I we have it on out. video. It's I blacked fine. out. <laughs> you want to think like the apostles thought. Yeah. That just... Not just see the things that they, that they thought. Yeah. Not just not just read the things like I don't want to hear just the report. I want to know what what you guys are asking Michael and I right now. Mm -hmm. That's what I want to know with the apostles. We tell the kids in the yeah. class downstairs or in our school we have. Uh, we're just not we're not trying to teach you what to think, but how exactly. Yep, and that's a big thing. And that's that's exactly right. so. Yeah. We we did Revelation, and we probably won't do it again for another twenty years now. Yeah, I understand. So, Make it seven but, years. It's better. We had some crazy stuff. We, we worked stuff. through that, and, and we used your stuff as a resource. Mm -hmm. um, ShaneJWood.com, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. right? There's a ton of stuff, by the way. Messages, teaching, writings. Yeah, you have your whole uh, class lectures on mm -hmm. there. Yeah, yeah, every I, lecture I've done at Ozark, I put on there. It's totally free. Yeah. Like, you I don't have to sign up to for it From here to New Mexico. Oh, okay. <laughs> literally podcast all the way. And I didn't get done. That's how much his content is there. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we did that, the, the book of Revelation here, we, we did the intro, we did chapter one a couple of weeks, three weeks, I think, and then we did each, each letter, mm -hmm. and of course we went to, we got to, we were blessed, we got to go to Turkey That's and check the spots out and teach from each spot. But then we did like, I think six weeks after that on the rest, but our whole focus was, let's look for Jesus here. Yeah. And I, I don't know how people felt, but I really enjoyed that. I had been kind of afraid, and it, it seemed like every time I touched Revelation in the past, it, it, it started a little fight with somebody yeah. and we just said up front we're not doing that yeah you know we're just we're just gonna look for jesus here and we're gonna talk about him and celebrate him and it was it was a great series i'd that's encourage awesome. people to do it yeah no that's awesome and i i do love um what you said there at the end too it's like um i'm, I'm just bored with all the infighting in the church it's just enough's enough um, we can disagree on things and still love each other like that's that's a, that's a big passion matter of fact every time i teach revelation except for this week like if you go to the videos on right right now media that the whole first session is to basically lay down ground rules like we're going to respect each other even if we disagree because we all love jesus and that should matter at some point um in revelation i think i think satan is very he he might not be creative but he's pretty shrewd um and the division that he can cause over the books of the bible uh, and, and to the point where you don't even want to touch Revelation because it burns. I'm just like, that's brilliant because that book will mess you up in all the right ways. And what better way to keep people from that clear revelation of who Christ is than to get them to fight about stuff that's actually not even the point of the book. I say. remember real quick, Shannon, I remember one time seeing a book title on Revelation. The book was on Revelation and the title was 
why Russia will attack Israel before China does or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, here's, here's what right I hear. Here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Uh, what I hear on that is this. We all desperately want um, to be rescued by Jesus. That's really what I hear when I hear those. And I get that. You know, at the, at the core of who I am with all the different, um, you know, the brokenness that's around us, it doesn't even have to be outside of my house, though, just even just within my own family. We all, at the very core of who we are, have a desperate longing for God to set the wrongs right. And I, I, I think that there's something deeply holy about that because I believe it's the, um, the God-protected part of every single one of us that, that no matter what Genesis 3 accomplished, it couldn't actually snuff out that longing. And what we do is we always find unique ways to express that longing, usually that are actually further destroying us. But people, like, people do this through alcohol. People do this through sexual dysphoria or sexual immorality. People do this through workaholism, where they actually make ministry itself an idol. Like, we all, in our unique ways, are expressing this desire for God to rescue us. And one of those expressions is prediction. Um, and I, I don't, so I don't get upset with it. But one of the things I always remind them is, A, we were never called to do that. We were actually called to do the opposite. And I'll, I'm sharing a little bit of what I'll talk about on my fourth session tomorrow, but it's like, Jesus is pretty clear in Matthew 24, 36, about that day or hour, no one stinking knows. Not the angels, not Jesus, only the Father. So my usually my joke, and I'll make it again tomorrow, and you can laugh then or not. <laughs> but my, my joke with that is, can we just quit trying to outdo Jesus? It's the same thing whenever a picture comes up on the screen. Whether you want to or not, if you're in the picture, you can't help but try to figure out where you are in the picture. Hmm. And that's the same thing that's happening hmm. with these red heifers and with these, with these blood red moons. We're trying to find where we are in this picture that God is weaving. And my heart for that, I'm going, I can minister to that even if we don't agree about the predictions. I don't predict. I think it's a waste of time. There's way too much to do in the present to be lost in the future. Um, and so usually a lot of those, I smile. Every 12 years, there's usually a big one. You know, Y2K right. was, you know, 2000. 2012 was the Mayan calendar. So 2024 is coming up. Get ready. Something going to be, you know. It, but, but it's this cycle of a longing more than it is uh, I'm going to get mad at what you're doing and bash it over the head. And, and I actually do on this stuff what Michael actually was suggesting us to do. Every couple of years, I stop and I go, do I really think that what I've been teaching for 20 years on Revelation is right? Um, and I'll kind of go all the way back through it, and I'll reread a lot of like you know the rapture theories, and I'll reread a lot of the tribulation theories because I'm going like, I don't know, it's not like there's no logic here. But then I always, at this point, I, I deepen where it is that I'm at, and I come back to where I'm at, and that is, let's just stop predicting, and let's figure out how to live like Jesus in the present because th there's enough difficulties there to figure out. You know, and if I could add, I think this is, is um, and you're making me think about so many things, waiting is hard. Yeah. And it, and it strikes me that the desire specifically to predict, to know, and to, and to get what God is doing. <laughs> what in the, I don't know where that's coming from. This kind of sounds weird coming know, through these things. Here. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, Isaiah 40, I think is 31. The, I believe the current translation says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Mm -hmm. And I remember the translation I grew up with said, those who wait on the Lord. Mm -hmm. And actually a lot of the Old Testament, whatever Old Testament, whatever Hebrew word it is that used to be translated wait is now often translated hope. And that's fine. Hope is critical and I never tire of talking about it. But it might be valuable to remember that 
to hope is to wait and to wait is sucks. It's not fun. Yeah. Um, I don't like that word, but uh, it, to, to hope to wait is hard. And yet it's like built into the human experience because mm-hmm. where my mind is going is actually back to the garden. And I often think yeah. about, um, what was wrong with desiring the knowledge of good and evil? Mm-hmm. Well, there wasn't anything wrong with the knowledge of good and evil. It's just a Hebrew way of talking about wisdom. So their problem was they wanted wisdom. No, their problem is they wanted wisdom in a way that was different than how God intended to give it to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That God actually intended for them to receive wisdom later mm-hmm. on his time and in the way that he wanted to, re- to give it. And so really there's, a, there's a, gra- a grasping for knowledge is actually at the very center, I would say, of sin. Yeah. Of, of it, it is a demonstration of a lack. I want to know now what God hasn't told me until later. And the answer is wait. And that is uncomfortable, especially in a world where I am uh, terrified that the people I love are going to find Jesus not worth following. Yeah. And I remember not too long ago, my son was, um, he said, Daddy, I, uh, I just feel like I'm missing something in life and I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. He was like six. I was like, good heavens, you're a deep kid. <laughs> um, and my first instinct was to be like, dude, it's Jesus, and you can have him. He'll feel the hole in your heart. <laughs> um, which is true. Which is true. But the Holy Spirit said, slow down. Yeah. And I, I, you know, thankfully got a hold of me before I said anything. And I said, buddy, that's good. Yeah. Uh, you're supposed to feel that way because uh, you're made for something other than the world you live in. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how Jesus will, in the end, right all wrongs and fill all the holes. And we'll know everything we need to know, but not yet. Already. But the scary thing is my kids live in a world where, I mean, it's not like following Jesus has ever been easy, but the pressures they face are different than the ones I face. And so I'm scared that the pressures will be too much. Yeah. And I don't want to undersell Jesus, but I can't avoid the fact that I am calling people to follow a God who says, wait, I'll show you eventually that yeah. faith is worth it. And so, yeah, it just strikes me that hope, waiting are, yeah. are necessary and uncomfortable. Well, and um, when you were saying that, it reminded me, um, Irenaeus, second century church father, mm-hmm. um, uh, he, he actually said that the, that the sin in the Garden of Eden was haste. Oh, that's rich. Yeah, and, and it's this. Oh, yeah, they just they. Gosh. It was impatience. It's actually yes. you know the fruit of the spirit where it talks about patience and self control. Those those aren't incidental because it is. You're exactly right. Like the 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 longing is at its core a holy something because it draws us back to God. But our response to it, um, you know, that's why I define impatience as violence against time. Like we just, we rage to the point where we must have it and have it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I remind my kids all the time, I was like, listen, the, the end never justifies the means because the means defines who you are when you get to that end. Mm-hmm. And if you seize it too quickly or you do it in a way that it wasn't supposed to be, you actually become someone different. And David teaches us this. Yes, David, whenever he has the chance to kill Saul mm-hmm. and he waits which is ridiculous. He actually was anointed. He was the king, mm-hmm. but he chose to wait because he knew he, he basically at some point, uh, basically it's like, but I would become the very one that's pursuing me if I seized this opportunity. So I, and I think hurts. you're exactly like that's, right. Maybe that's yeah. what to hope is to wait and to wait is to hurt. That's a better yeah. way of saying it. Yeah. So we can't avoid the hurt. No. Oh man. I think too, like, as you guys are talking, it reminds me, Jesus miss. comes on the scene. He could have like made all the disciples like, yeah, super Christians. Mm-hmm. But he says, "Follow me, mm-hmm. and I will teach you yeah. to be fishers of men." Yeah. yeah. And so it's this daily walking with yeah. the Lord, and 
it's in his timing mm-hmm. and his pace. Yes. Yeah. And so we stay oh. close. You guys, mm-hmm. even what you guys are just saying, it reminded me of Revelation 1.9. You know, I, John, your brethren companion in the kingdom, or in the suffering Ooh, in the kingdom yes. and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus Christ. And that's Christ. the word throughout the book, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, that's like, so Shane's, one of Shane's, I mean, I think you talked about him, Doc Lowry, his professor at grad school, which is so important. I, I never met him before he passed, tragically too soon. But I remember through Jim, our teacher, him talking about like the command of revelation is actually pretty consistently the same thing. Patient endurance. Yeah. Oh, that's gosh. That's. But I think that's also the theme running through Paul. It is. You know, we're, we're, we're in our, in our impatience. The Corinthian church is yes. acting out through suing each other mm-hmm. or, or, you know, sleeping because, you know, I mean, even less at its core, it's an impatience. It's an improper way to have that desire satisfied. Yeah. And, and so all of that, I guess, I'm sorry, this is, exciting to me. This is that curiosity thing where I'm like, oh no, let's pull this through. But, but at the very core then, what, even if I don't agree with predicting, I, 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 I commiserate, I understand where that's coming from. And so I'm not going to get upset. So can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did you, were you, so this is, I'm, I'm seeing empathy. Yeah. So did you, were you, you, are you, are you just wired? Or was there a t- like this? Or was there a time early in your ministry where you like would get frustrated with people, and then it took time for you to learn not to be so annoyed with them? Yeah, that's a good question. No, I am not naturally. I'm patient. glad you're asking him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I have never been uh, known for my patience in my household. I've never been known for. Um, Are you naturally empathetic? Though? Being yeah. <laughs> Why you, you know truthfully, if I'm if, like. To answer that question, it's really like the last decade hmm. um, of coming face to face with my biggest wound, being being molested as a as a six year old. Frankly, um, and I don't bring this up in the book, and I usually don't talk about it much. But it was I was actually molested from the ages of six to eleven by multiple people on multiple locations. Hmm. When that happens, it, it's really been me understanding the anatomy of wounds. Okay. Um, it, it, whenever that happens, you you actually. W- what I describe is, and this even goes into one of the things that was on your screen with Leviticus, which would really help me, is your boundaries shatter of what's safe and what's not safe. Your boundaries shatter on some level of like what's good and what's, what's evil, because this person was an authority figure initially that was put there by my parents to protect me, and he used it to abuse me. Yeah. So at that point in like figuring out what love is and figuring out what makes me mad and what doesn't make me mad, I, I had a hard time with having a governor on anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more understanding the way in which those wounds, we all have those wounds. Sometimes they're not as dramatic as, you know, being beaten by an alcoholic dad, which I, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're, but my kids, I'm watching them respond in very similar ways that I did to wounds that they had from like a comment from a kid at school that told my oldest son, you're ugly and you'll never, no girl will ever love you. And he was in sixth grade, and that wounds him. And I watched the way the anatomy of that wound festers and produces things in him like impatience. Um, over the last 10 years, I, this is, these are insights that I'm working to implement in every area. But the compassion that you start to have towards other people, uh, literally, I love that word, compassion. Mm-hmm. You suffer with them. Um, and for me, that's what the word you know comes from, to suffer with. Passion is where we get the passion of Christ. Compassion is, is that uh, Latin uh, um, you know, prefix of with. You're suffering with them. And the compassion towards other people and the patience with where they're at is um, a lot of the times our anger or our forcefulness or even our violence against time or impatience. Um, anger is a mask of sadness. That's all that it is. 
Evagoras of Pontus, a fifth century desert father, talks about how sadness is broken expectations. Mm -hmm. So whenever you start moving that back, why am I angry all the time, impatient, lashing out with my tongue? It's actually because my heart has been shattered from a very early age because expectations that were God-given inside of my pure heart weren't met. And when you realize that pattern is on every single person with their wounds, it starts to flatten out why you get mad at someone. Mm -hmm. You start to go, oh, okay, I know that in my own soul. So I'm not going to respond to you the way I responded to myself. And that was self-flagellate, you know, self just yes. beating. Yeah. It's actually learning how to give yourself grace so that then you can give others grace. So to answer your question, I would say this. I've learned over the last 10 years how to evangelize myself. Whew. Yes, and and as a result, I'm able to help uh, build so, bridges of other people. Would you say, Shane, that the, the the cycle of you know reciprocating, using using that hurt and, and then acting out upon others, or we, I, I was talking with a guy this week who did a funeral for a 28 year old whose dad committed suicide when he was seven, and the 28 year old had an, a seven year old daughter, and it's like cycle, 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 cycle. How do you break that cycle? Hmm. Would you say that that broken pattern happened through the redemptive power of Jesus. I mean, mm. that the Spirit's transformative work in you takes that pain and turns it into compassion. Yeah, it's definitely... I, I don't think it doesn't help happen any other way. 100%. To me, this is one of the most... Like, if you want to be edgy in our culture today, talk about radical forgiveness. Hmm. Like, you want to be... This is one of the things I tell my son, say, you really want to make the gospel edgy? This is the core of the gospel right here. Forgive the greatest enemy in your story, whoever that is. Your job in the name of Jesus is to forgive that enemy, to target that, that person that shattered you. That, that, and if I'm going to be really real like with what I do with a lot of students, I'm like, that boyfriend that raped you, that, that, that babysitter that molested you, that parent that left your family. That's my wife's story. Her mom left her whenever she was eight. Um, and, and then didn't, didn't come back around for another eight years. Uh, whenever you start to realize that that is actually the pathway to learning about this Christ who literally through his wounds heals other people's wounds, you start to realize the greatest weapon of evangelism is you pressing into your wounds and learning how to transform those into entry points into Christ's wounds. Um, and so I, I do believe, I don't know how this is possible without Jesus. This is just not the rhetoric that the world talks about. Um, and so I, I, I do, I, I, I talk openly about the greatest wound in my story. And I always, I always, I, I actually was chastised by one of my colleagues where they said, stop apologizing for your story. I, I do at times feel bad, like I'm not trying to startle you, uh, with the fact I was molested when I was six, but there's a part of it that eventually that wound starts to feel more like a scar where it's still deep. It was such a deep wound that it's there, but when I touch it now, it just doesn't hurt in the same way. And that's, that's the movement of the spirit. That's the transformation. But when Christ resurrected, he still had the scars. It's just that now the scars are actually a celebration of the healing. It, it's, and so in this process, and I think this is also one of the key ways that the church can, can meet a broken world. Um, this is one of the reasons why I do believe that the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and, and soul, is connected by Jesus in Matthew's gospel to the second when he says, and the second is like the first, love your neighbor like you love yourself. And that's that last phrase where I'm going, the, the definition of loving yourself that the world gives is, is actually self-idolization. 
The self-love that I'm talking about is pressing into your deepest wound and allowing Jesus to be present even there. To allow Jesus to be present even in the room where the babysitter molested you. That is so painful because you don't even want to go back there. More or less, let other people in that space. But when they do, I believe something miraculous happens through the Spirit that we then can offer other people. And so if the church really grabs a hold of this, this is exactly what people are asking for. More than light shows, more than good preaching. They're asking, can this Jesus heal my greatest wound? And the only way they're going to be convinced it's possible is if we walk the path first. Um, and so for me, the last 10 years has been, I have to unearth this story first that I kept hidden, even from my parents, for 25 years. My parents had no idea that this happened until I sat down with them across the table and said, it's about to come out in a book. We probably should talk about this. Um, but in the book, I, at the end of uh, chapter 8, which there's numerology, that's the only reason why I know it's chapter 8, because 8's a number of resurrection inside of Christian literature. So at the end of chapter 8, I actually do talk about where I'm at now with Joe, and I've, this is the prayer I've asked God. A, I've asked that Joe is present in heaven, and B, I've asked that God allows Joe to open the gates whenever I get there. Mm. Um, because I want to sit under, that, the, under the tree of life with Joe and say, hey, Death used to separate us, but now it's united us. Let's, I want to hear your story. I never got to hear your story. And I think that's Paul. I think Stephen opened the pearly gates for Paul when Paul got there, because that's the gospel. The gospel is whenever enemies who are separated actually become reconciled with the one that they even wounded. That is what sin is. We have assaulted God. And yet the gospel is, we were once his enemy, but now we've been reconciled through the blood of Jesus. And what if Christians, what if that became the new epidemic in the church? Christians loving the greatest enemy in their stories. I think at that point, we wouldn't be struggling with churches closing 4,000 a year as the average I saw before pre-COVID. I think we'd be struggling with the opposite. Not enough people could get in. But that path of walking, it'll feel like a crucifixion. I don't even know what the question was. I'm sorry. It's okay. That was a good journey. Yeah. Wow. We, we just got to keep preaching the gospel. Well, yeah, um, I mean. That's, man, that's the essence of it. I, mean, there, I read this somewhere. Maybe it's from you, Michael. I doubt it, but. <laughs> <laughs> Probably in Colossians. <laughs> you, you, someone may preach the gospel better than you, but they will never preach a better gospel than yeah, you. That's, well, that's awesome. Good. I didn't say and that. So, you should have claimed maybe you did. I think you did. Yeah. Are you serious? You yeah. texted it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's 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 why we keep preaching. Like well, man, and Shane, uh, you know this. You know we both love Colossians so much. Yeah. And dude, everything that you're saying it maps onto Colossians three. You know this. You know you have the. Uh, put to death the the old way of life, and he splits it into two. There's this list of five sins plus one: uh, mm -hmm. lust, evil, uh, evil desires, impurity. Um, I'm getting them wrong. Sexual morality and passions, and the and then it adds idolatry. So you've got these sins of desire. I want these things, mm -hmm. and then it's followed by you must also get rid of all these things: anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. So you have this list of five desires, this list of five ways that we respond when our desires aren't met, and then it's replaced by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, overall, all of which you put on love. And so it's like exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And then after the love, he mentions forgiveness. But if you just try to do it on your own, it doesn't work. 100%. You start Colossians 3 with, since you've been raised with Christ, mm -hmm. and you have in the middle of it 
uh, since you are now as dearly loved children mm-hmm. who have been made uh, into God's own people. Man, it's so rich. Gosh, well, it's and, just... and even what you were just saying there, my thought was, because you even said, like, doing this on your own is not possible. Um, this is the heartbeat, though, behind cancel culture. They're trying to deal with their wound with the tools they have in their wow. hands it's from the their master. Forgiveness, huh? Absolutely right. Yeah, it's the way to say. That's why I always tell my 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 students. I say, there's two ways. There's two ways to annihilate your enemy. You can obliterate them, or you can convert them into your friend. Hmm. But our but our but our society has these same wounds and cancel culture. I mean, that's what happened to Jesus. Like none of this is new. Again, I just go back to we're all trying to, it's not even just that Satan uses the same tricks we fall. We've been trying to medicate our wounds the exact same ways for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. And we just do the same things over and over and over and over. And one of those is I'm just going to uh, absolutely cancel this person out of my existence. The problem is the greatest enemy or your story can't be canceled. They will just haunt your dreams. And that's where I came to the end of my rope when I was 30, where I was going, I can't run from Joe anymore because he follows me everywhere. He can't be canceled. You have to eventually press into that wound in order for the wound to become a scar. Yep. It's like I, 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 I use this illustration a lot where it's like, you know, having four kiddos, you know, we have a lot of, we had a lot of bike wrecks. And, you know, and every, it's almost like a pattern where you can predict. It didn't matter if it was Zion, my daughter, Paige, Maddox, or Robert. All of them the same. They scrape their knee blood-curdling scream, they come running up to mom or dad with their hand over the wound. And the first thing I got to convince them is the only way for healing to start, you got to take your hand off the wound. You have to quit trying to cover it. It, Otherwise, it will become infected. It will actually become worse. If you take your hand off of the wound, then it's going to hurt before it gets better because we got to clean it. And then healing can begin. And a bunch of people in the church, I just see us all running around with our hands on our knees. And my thought is, ooh, the most difficult path that Christ gave us is that internal one to actually forgive our enemies. But it is the source of the power of the gospel of the Holy Spirit transforming you that then you can ultimately give to the people that are around us in this world. Um, it's just brutal. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you like to have these guys in your life group? You throw out one question. Oh, man. <laughs> the evening know. is over. I feel like I talked too much, to be honest with you. Good. You don't want us in your life. No. <laughs> but I love to be in your life. Yeah. Yeah, right. So that's what we do on the Rethink podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, guys, for sharing with this discussion. A mm-hmm. um, lot more to come. We're gonna, tonight we've got a worship session where we'll delve into the throne room, and I, I expect the room to be um, excited and hope-filled tonight. It's going to be fun. And tomorrow we're going to dig in a little bit more with you two guys. Um, before we close this out, in case people are only able to check this out, resource resource opportunities, where would you direct them to? We, I mentioned Shane J. Wood. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Dot com. Yeah, do you mean resources that we provide or just like in yeah. general? Okay. Yeah. ShaneJWood.com, or you can just Google my name. Uh, there literally are just hundreds of hours of lectures and sermons uh, that uh, actually my heart behind it was... Um, I grew up, in, or I mean, I served in a small church. We didn't have money to purchase resources. And my thought was, if I ever have a chance to provide resources, they will be totally free. And, th- and I mean the word free. Like, you don't pay, I don't, I don't take money on my website. Does that make sense? So that's out there. Um, we both have stuff on right now media that, that's put out by Ozark. Um, if you go to, if you, if you Google Ozark Christian College Next Level, uh, Ozark puts out like 
dozens and dozens of free video, like 15 to 20 minute videos going through books of the Bible or how to study the Bible with Michael that are also out there. Again, there is so much free out there. Sometimes it can get a little overwhelming on right now media when it's like, good grief, this is like the Netflix of Christian resources. And it's like, oh, that was a garbage one. Oh, that was, oh, and then found one. The ones that Ozark put out, the people like Michael and like Randy Garris, if you know him, Mark Scott, Mark Moore, there's so much good stuff on there that I would definitely uh, suggest so Ozark. Well. Yeah, it's on. Well, it's also on YouTube. You know, and I know. Yep. You know, you're talking about those who aren't here, and the people who are here know about Shane's book in the back. If you're just listening, you're, the book you've been talking about is called Between Two Trees, mm. um, and it really is kind of an exploration of life with God, mm. um, with some. Well, you you could blurb it better than I could, but at some level, it's asking when we look at the Garden of Eden and we look at the end of Revelation and we ask, how does the story tie together in a way that actually touches my needs? That to me is a way of thinking about what that book is. Um, and I have a book called More Jesus on Colossians that's out there in the world. But YouTube... Which is uh, fantastic. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, you um, the Right Now Media that I know you we, guys we are in the room. We don't have any books. Some of you use. Yeah, no kidding. Um, There's a lot of they only They only have a part of what we do at the, through the Next Level program. So you can get it on our website, but probably the easiest place to access it all is on YouTube. Yeah. And there's a bunch of series on, yeah, I mean, so much of Scripture covered by either us or some of our friends. And it's, my wife has done a couple of series, Esther Ruth. She's got one coming out here soon. She's shooting in January. I mean, there's so much good content on those platforms. Yeah, and they, that's what I love about what Ozark's heart on that is, is number one, it's to make sure they're free for the churches. Yeah. But number two, they do let us get to explore. Like, it's fun. You know, he gets to do right. Leviticus. I'll have one on Daniel coming out. We have our Old Testament guy that's just John Kerr, who's just phenomenal and he's putting out all kinds of stuff on the Pentateuch but it's all free Mm -hmm. and that to me is the heartbeat behind this is like yeah we can do this all for free and it's actually can come alongside of what you're already doing without having to blow up your world so cool thanks for sticking around and if you watch this thank you see ya